Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Let me introduce today's guest. Summer has served with Pioneers since 2007. She has taught school in Ethiopia, led a church planting team in Uganda, and worked as the West Coast Mobilizer for Pioneers. She is currently preparing to go to Central Asia to engage a minority people group who live as sheep herders in the mountains. She longs to bring glory to God among the nations. So Summer, welcome. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Oh, good. And where are you joining us from today? Currently, I'm in California, the northern part of California. Oh, so is it awfully hazy around (laughs) this time? Actually, today is the first day in like four weeks that I've seen a little bit of blue up in the sky. It has been so smoky. It has been absolutely horrible. But today there's like hope glimmering out there. (laughs) Well, hey, I love that. We're glad to be a part of it. Um, Yeah, we definitely hope that more and more blue keeps coming. Okay, I want to dive right in because your stories have quickly become some of my favorite. Um, And they kind of remind me of like, oh, the places you'll go. (laughs) Just (laughs) where you've got, like you could write your own Dr. Seuss book. Mm -hmm. So can we kind of get a quick roadmap of some of the places you have spent your time serving within Pioneers? Yeah, I've been with Pioneers for a while and it has been a wild ride to be sure. So I first started in Ethiopia. I was there for about three years. And then I shifted to Uganda, um, and and then from there, I've been in America for the last couple of years doing West Coast Mobilization for Pioneers, and now I'm getting ready to launch back out into a new place in Central Asia. So it's been uh, very diverse settings. In Ethiopia, I was working amongst uh, Orthodox people. In Uganda, it was animistic. Uh, here in America, well, it's just Americans. We're a mixed bag. And then um, in Central Asia, it will be Muslims. So it has been all over the gamut as far as um, places and peoples and the things that God's called me to do. So, yeah. Oh, I should say so. I, honestly, when I hear that, that's kind of what my perception was as a kid of like mm-hmm. where our missionaries at. I, I always thought of Africa. I mean, I don't know why, but that was just my perception was like, that's where you go when you want to serve God. So I, so it's kind of cool hearing that like you obviously have been in in so many countries and God has had you work with so many people, but um, yeah, I can't wait for everyone to get to hear a bit more about what it was like there. So let's kind of jump in now to our topic. Um, Let's figure out more about this idea of obedience in the context of global mission. So I mean, even toddlers and puppies, I think, know what the word obey means, or at least they know how mm-hmm. to do that. So so what is obedience? Or I guess more specifically, what is obedience to God? Uh, maybe how do we obey God? What does that look like? Hmm. I think obedience without the context of love and relationship with God um, can be very, very difficult and heavy. But when you're in the context of a thriving, loving relationship with Jesus, then it is the greatest joy. And it's so closely related back to our faith in God. So when we, um, faith is is really very simple. It's just obedience, taking God at his word and putting it into action. And so I think 
when we kind of get rid of this big burdensome thing of, oh, we have to obey God and, and, uh, follow all of his precepts and keep his, his, his rules and regulations, it feels very heavy. But when we recognize that we are God's beloved child and he, he just cares for us and we get to hear his words and do them, and then we get to see what he does through that, it, it spurs us on to greater things. So I just want to start with that comment, just that uh, obedience doesn't start with the heavy uh, obligations. It starts with uh, an understanding of the love of God. And for me, that love of God captured my heart when I was about 15 years old. And that's when I truly began to say, I want Jesus in my life and I want all of him. So really turning um, my life over to to God at that time. and. I was very convicted uh, from from that those teenage years that my life was bought with a price and it wasn't my own. It belonged to God. And I wanted to live to the purposes of God rather than just to myself. And I think that's a fairly uh, incredible thing for a teenager to, to process through. And yet God brought me through a couple different circumstances in life, which really showed me that those were to be true. And um, And so as you look at at faith at the beginnings and you look, okay, where's our example? Our example is always going to be Jesus. And if you look at what Jesus does, uh, he, he just, he's always going about the kingdom business. He's always walking with God and obeying what God's asking him, going about the kingdom business here on earth and bringing others together with him. And, uh, God, Jesus also, he said, you know, if we're looking at, okay, where's his example, his, his actions, but also what are his words? And in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples, uh, that's his words to us. And that's for every single follower of Jesus is to, to look to him as his examples and do what his words say. And his words are to go and make disciples. And that's not just going overseas, but that's in the dailiness of of our lives. As we go about our business, as we are in this world, we are to be making disciples. And so um, that was true for me at a young age. And so I began to obey that um, in looking in my own neighborhood, in my own hometown and saying, God, how can you use me now? And um, I started working with Child Advantages and Fellowship and doing Bible clubs in uh, some rough neighborhoods in my town and just got to experience that when we walk out in faith and obey God and do what he's asked us to do, God does some crazy cool things. And that just spurred my faith on and it just encouraged me. And um, and so I ended high school with the desire to, to do long-term missions and I went to university with the purpose to get a teaching credential because that's a natural gifting that God's given to me. And I wanted to use it for God's glory. Expected to like graduate from university and go straight over to missions. Um, but God had some other plans. So I ended up teaching in America for a couple of years and kind of starting to get settled into that American like, oh, this is pretty comfortable. I loved the school I was teaching at, loved my house, loved my housemate, like loved all the things that were happening in my life. Um, but there was this deeper calling of don't settle, Summer, don't settle. And so as I was processing through that, I took a perspectives class, um, which I highly recommend. And that was like that push of hearing God's voice again, of saying, Summer, 
it's not about this world and this life. And it's not about you feeling comfortable. It's about me and my glory. And I'm worried. I'm worthy of that. I'm worthy of being worshiped and known in every language and every people. And so um, that was really the, the, the thing that kicked me into applying to different organizations, which led me to pioneers. And so, um, so yeah, just, I think as we, I don't think we have to have the big picture. I would never have imagined back as a teenager, the way that my life would go and all the places that God would take me. I would never have imagined that I'd end up in Ethiopia or Uganda or even going to Central Asia. Um, But I knew that God was worthy and I took the first steps of obedience, which led to the next step of obedience, which led to the next step of obedience. And as we walk in obedience, God is so faithful. He's so good. He's so faithful to open up the next step to us. And so with Pioneers, then I um, went to Ethiopia and I served there at an international school. Like I said, my my natural gifting is in teaching. I have my teaching credentials. So um, there's a little school called Bingham Academy, just an amazing school, and got to first uh, serve there. And then God brought me to the next step, um, which I think we'll probably talk about in a little bit more um, as we go along. But I just want to start off with that, that piece of what obedience was for me at an early age. Oh, totally. Summer, this is why I love being the host of this podcast, because I glean so much from our guests and their stories and their passion for God. And it is obvious, even just from how you speak of obedience to God, that you have a deep and rich love um, for Him that has only grown over the years and has um, helped you to grow so much intimacy. And I love the way that you described obedience. I felt so relieved when you said that of, gosh, you know, we can't look at obedience as if it's just this, do this and go here. And it's just so cold, but rather, uh, the starting point for obedience being loving relationship with God. Um, you know, the good father having that be our, our starting point. So I'm very glad you, you shared that with us today. Um, I've been able to hear a handful of your stories, and there are some wild turns of events and places that you've gone to do ministry. I mean, you ended up in the middle of Uganda. I mean, certainly a place that wasn't your first choice. So how did you end up there? Um, And how is obedience woven into that story? Yeah, so like I said, I first started off in Ethiopia, and Ethiopia was a really wonderful three years for me. I loved teaching at the school. It was a place where I had, I was thriving in my natural giftings and in the things that felt comfortable. We had this wonderful um, staff of uh, school teachers there that were like-minded. It was so fun. And my classroom had uh, 50% missionary kids and 50% international students. And so it was a huge blessing to use my classroom as a platform for sharing the gospel. And I think sometimes people think, well, like teaching is just like a secondary ministry. Uh, You're just in a support role to those who are really doing the real work. I just want to set the record straight. Like it takes just as much faith and obedience for somebody to step out and work at an international school as it does for somebody to step out and work at a village in doing church planting directly. 
and it takes, and it's just as impactful because it's all for God's glory. And so the seeds of faith that we get to plant in people's lives, uh, whether in a tribal setting or in a city setting or in a school setting, they are of equal value to God. And they each take equal sacrifice of, of choosing uh, to love others and to choose to uh, share God with others. And so my classroom was a primary platform of, of ministry. I, like I said, I had 50% international students. So I had like students that were, I had this, the son of the Pakistani uh, ambassador in my class. I mean, that's a huge ministry platform where I don't think if I went to Pakistan, I'd have the opportunity to share the gospel with this little boy. But in my classroom, I did. Um, well, at the same time, I got to, uh, to, to help these little hearts of their, where their parents are ministering amongst unreached people groups in the country. And so it's a, it's a really primary ministry, and I loved being able to do that. Um, but I'm not a person that can be easily contained behind the compound walls. <laughs> so I began to pray. I was like, God, you know, I'm here in Ethiopia. I love what I'm doing in my classroom, but I'm, I want to see how I can get out of these walls and, um, and began to just pray. And I just, I said, God, how would you do this, Lord? And God brought a couple other people to pray with me. And then God brought us in contact with a couple of Ethiopian people who uh, were believers, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and they were doing ministry and they invited us to join in that ministry. And so uh, very quickly in my time in Ethiopia, I was, I was also doing a lot of street ministry and um, sharing the gospel with people as we went along. And that was vibrant. Like God was doing some really cool things in that time. And after the end of three years, the, the things that were happening uh, on the streets and in, in lives were, were becoming so big that I was having a hard time balancing both, uh, both sides of that equation and really began to search my heart and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Um, because I highly value the teaching, but I also really involved this, love this. And so um, God was just kind of saying, Summer, your, your passion, your heart is for giving the word to those who don't have access to it, who need to know the love of Jesus. And so I um, decided that I would um, take a, so I would take a home assignment back in America for a year pray about these things and uh, came to the conclusion that if I came back, I would just do focus on the street ministry stuff. Um, but in that time when I was back home, really felt like God saying to me, Summer, there's workers for that harvest field. And it's true, like our Ethiopian brothers and sisters that we were working with, they were going beyond, like they were just incredible how God was using them and how God was making this ministry thrive and and flourish and realize like I'm not needed there, but there's other places where there are not enough workers. And so that, that caused me to seek God again and say, where God would you want me to go? And, um, got connected to this team that's working amongst the Karamajong in Uganda. And so I went on a three month vision trip to, to Uganda. And I remember like, <laughs> just really hating Uganda. Like it was, well, not Uganda as a whole, but this environment of Karamoja was really hard. So, um, you know, in Ethiopia, 
the culture of the Ethiopians is warm and welcoming. When you greet people, they, they kiss you on the cheeks and they, they present coffee to you. I mean, is there anything better than that? And like, we have this coffee ceremony and you just like this, this warm environment. But when I went to Uganda, they are a semi-nomadic warrior people group. Uh, and like the Ugandans say it's the land of thorns and warriors. And it's true. It's like semi-arid, uh, hot, hot, you know, everything is, every natural plant has thorns on it. And I'm not just like talking a little like rose thorns, like three inch thorns. It just like, it's thorny. <laughs> like, it's just like a tough environment. And I just like, Ugh, this isn't really what I like. And like in Ethiopia, I had all these friends. We had like teachers. We were great friends together. We had lived together. We worked together. It was so much fun. And in Uganda, it was like this little tiny team in the middle of nowhere. Like you can't just like say, Hey, let's hang out at a coffee shop. Like there's nothing, there's not even coffee there. It's just ridiculous. And so I know. I have a question. (laughs) I, I want to stop you right there because what in the world? I mean, the way you're comparing these two, it sounds like something else I've read in the Bible of going from one place that was so luscious and, and homely and, or not homely, but, um, felt like home, I guess. And, and then you go to some place where it seems so barren and empty and, what did that do to your mind? What I mean, <laughs> even in the in the sense of like obedience, was that kind right. of a blow of like, well, great, I I obeyed God, and now look where I am. I mean, what kind well, of happened? Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say it was really challenging. So here I am in this vision trip, and I like I had three months there, and I thought by the end of three months, I thought, well, God, this is a really good experience. I'm glad I got to see some really cool people groups. I mean, they were beautiful. There were some really amazing things about their culture. But I was like, okay, but that was a nice like checkbox. Now what's next, you know? And um, God convicted my heart, like, Summer, you haven't actually asked me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, Lord. So I opened my Bible. I said, God, would you just show me what you want me to do here? And uh, happened to open up to Deuteronomy chapter one, which is where the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. And it's on the edge of the promised land for the second time. And Moses reviews with the people and he says, you know, you asked for spies to go into the land and it sounded like a good idea. So we sent out these 12 spies into the land and they came back and they reported the goodness of the land. They reported of the fruit that was there, but they also reported of the giants. And then you rebelled against the Lord and you refused to go in. And God uh, speaks through Moses. And he says, like, I was the Lord, your God, who, who, who fought for you, who carried you like a son carries his, uh, like a father carries his son all the way to this land. And um, as I was reading that passage, it just really came alive to me. And I felt so convicted um, that Karamoja is the promised land of God. Not the same that it was for the Israelites in that story, but the promise is that that God will build his church there, that he will uh, have worshipers in that language group. And that is his, if that is his promise, then the fruit of that land is good. But in an equal reality, equal reality, is that there's also walls and giants in that land. There's walls of culture. There's giants of spiritual strongholds and religious mindsets and all these things. There's Those things are of equal reality. 
But the question isn't whether those giants and those things exist. The question is, do we trust God or do we trust in the circumstances around us? And I really felt like the Lord saying, Summer, you've got to trust me. And, you know, the reality of like those Israelites rebelling against the Lord and then taking the next 40 years of their lives dying off in the land and never really tasting of that great promises really was was sobering to me. And I thought, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to miss out on the promises that God has for this. I want to be able to taste these good fruits here. And so it was a real decision. It was a real surrendering of um, my will at that point, which is also a piece of obedience saying that, that deciding I'm going to trust you, God, I'm going to trust that your word is true. And I'm going to stand on the promises of what you've said, and I'm going to come back to this land. And so, um, so I left about three months and came back long term. And I kind of expected, to be perfectly honest, Emily, I kind of expected that like, okay, that was the battleground, right? That that once I surrender and I say yes to Jesus, then everything will be great. You know, it'll be fine. But, you know, when you look at the story of, of Joshua and going into the promised land, like it is battle after battle after battle mm-hmm. after battle. And yet God's victory is also after all those battles. But but God doesn't just like automatically clear the deck. He has us walk through all these really hard things as he does his work and as he brings about his promises to fruition. And so when I got back to Karamoja, I, I um, you know, here I am in this land. I had come to join this team and three and a half weeks after I arrived, the whole team fell apart. And I was suddenly left alone in this country with this other new girl who had come two days after I did um, from Australia. She was 21 years old. And and here we are um, in this wilderness, this new land. Uh, and there was a lot of giants and walls of culture and language and uh, sickness, malaria. We, I mean, my first year and a half of being in Karamoja had malaria. 13 times. Oh my. I had brucellosis. Like it was just like battle after battle after battle. Like uh we lived in a tent for the first uh 6 months and like I said the Kermajang are warrior people groups and so we'd often get caught we'd have these bullets flying over our heads and just laying down on the ground of the tent going God, these the walls of tents are not very secure. <laughs> Jesus, <Okay>. please protect us. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Are we so we're talking about like lead bullets going yes. over your head in yes. a tent made of yes. what? Like, you know, canvas. Yeah. Oh, good. Very good. <laughs> I, I mean, like, really, the walls, like that land has been the enemies for a long time. And uh there's strongholds there. And there are real difficulties there. And so, but obedience doesn't look at all the circumstances and run away. It says, okay, God, I will trust you and I will remain. And um, and in the remaining, we get to experience. I mean, Emily, I wish, wish I could just allow everybody who's listening, like experiencing that hand of protection of the Lord. Like, 
you know, there's, there's verses from Psalm where it talks about the Lord is my strong tower. I will run into him and find refuge. Like suddenly when you're laying on your tent floor and there's bullets going around you and there's just fear that's knocking at that door, you know, like, but recognizing that God truly is your only protection. There's no 911 to call. There's nothing to do. Like it's only God who keeps you. Um, it's a really beautiful, intimate relationship with God that I'm really grateful I got to experience and develop. And, um, and he is a sustaining force in our lives. And so oh, certainly, I mean, mm-hmm. I love that as a result of this, you know, God so much more than you did before mm-hmm. you went. And I think, gosh, I can look back on seasons of my life when I, if I could kind of measure it in the same way of, gosh, how did I learn anything about God or myself over that time? And honestly, I'm not sure, but hearing your mm-hmm. story, it's like, without a doubt, Summer knows so much more about the heart of God now than she did before because you were um, in this incredible relationship with him where he was speaking to you. He was providing. He had a hand of protection over you. Um, He gave you confirmation about those decisions. Um, Can we hear a couple of stories maybe, or even just, I mean, one, whatever, but about when you were in Uganda and you could genuinely see like the hand of God, like as a protection over you, um, sparing you from something. Yeah. Um, I have many, I think <laughs> I'm uh, sure. <laughs> one of my favorite stories. So we were, um, doing a chicken project. So it was just Melissa, this, this Australian girl and myself, and we had inherited this chicken project from the people who left and we had 100 baby chicks that had to be kept warm all night long. So we had made a little med hut for them and we had to, um, we had no electricity or running water or anything like that. So and, we had And to, what are these chickens for? Oh, they were for a project where we were going to give them to women and teach them how to um, raise up these, well, these chickens and do a... Um, like sell the eggs and stuff like that. So it was kind of a sustainable oh, project. So, okay. yeah, so they're babies at this point. And, um, and so we had them in this little hut and we had to sleep out there because we had to keep the charcoal fire bur- burning all night. And so uh, we had started the charcoal fire and my friend and I, we said, okay, well, we have just enough power in our solar panel ba- battery thing to watch a movie. So we had this, like, we had built a, um, a structure with just like a grass roof and kind of a half mud wall around it. And that's where we had our kitchen and dining room and, you know, living room, all the things were out. So but it was pretty open. It was outside. And so, um, so here we are, it's dark. We're sitting, we're watching this movie and all that said, well, Melissa decides, okay, I want to get a cup of tea. So she gets up to get herself a cup of tea. And all of a sudden at my feet, there's like this crash and like these splinters of something like hit my, my foot. And I think, Melissa, did she like throw the cup or something? Like, I but I turned to look at her and I see out of the shadows of the night coming into our our space this big warrior, and uh, oh, he has some sort gosh. of he has this, some sort of weapon in his hand. I can't quite tell what it is, but he's coming towards us in the night, and I see that Melissa is nearer to him than I am, and I tell you, Emily, like this mama bear erupted. I was like. 
nothing can happen to her. So I like jump out of my chair. I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm just, so I start running at him. I start clapping my hands. Cause what else do I have? Like I clap my hands and I'm yelling at him, you're a bad man. You've got to go away. And I'm clapping my hands and running at him. And he's like, he like gets this shocked look on his face. Like, and he goes, he like, he stops and he turns and he runs away. And then and Melissa and I are like looking at each other going, what just happened? Oh <laughs> my word. So then our Kermajang friend, she goes, you need to tell, you need to do the alarm, the alarm when the enemy comes. And so we're like, what's that? And she's like, you go, and so like up like way, way, way louder, which I won't do on a recording because that would be just rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're standing there in the dark doing this. And I decide, okay, Melissa, we've got to like look around the compound, make sure the guy is actually gone. So I ha- I pick up a rock. I have a flashlight and a rock and I'm like walking around the compound. Melissa's behind me. I'm like, stay behind me, Melissa. We're going to, uh, anyway, but the, the alarm goes on from like one, our neighbor's house to the next like house, the next house, actually all the way to the army barracks, which is about a mile and a half away from us. And then um, some soldiers came and they like, they looked around our compound. They said that the guy had actually been hiding behind our chicken fence and they or chicken house, and they began to shoot. Uh, so then there was bullets flying. I don't actually know how good of a shot they are, so that kind of worried me. Um, but the guy ended up escaping. Um, but anyway, it was just so funny. I just think, you know, in this situation like that, here's this big warrior with a weapon, and here I am, a single woman with really nothing. <laughs> and here, here I am, like, I, I, I run out and I clap my hands, I'm yelling at him. But really, what is that? That's like nothing, you know? <laughs> and I just think, you know, God, I just would love, you, there's that story in the Bible where, where the prophet is standing with his servant and the servant's like all worried about the enemy that's coming against him. And God says, open their eyes that they would see, um, you know, the vast armies of the Lord that are with us and just wonder like, what's behind me? You know, God's there like fighting for me when I don't even know uh, the whole dangers or everything else. But yeah, that God is good and he does protect and he does provide for every season what we need. So for well, definitely. I, I'm yeah. glad no one can see me. My jaw has been on the floor <laughs> this entire time. Uh, that sounds like a nightmare to me, but meanwhile, you are able to identify God's hand of protection over you in the midst of bullets and literal like real life warriors that I didn't even know. I mean, would I just, wow, I have so many questions, (laughs) but I'm so grateful for your insight into, gosh, how when we choose to obey God and walk with him and he takes us perhaps into these wild places around the world, what will he do? Will he walk with us? Will he, will he carry us? Will he shield us? And I just feel like, Absolutely, he will. Some, oh yeah. I feel like, gosh, I can't wait to see your, you know, biography someday on the shelves with like Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you have those kind of stories of like, wow, look what God has done. Um, at some point, I've heard you say uh, that you don't need huge strategy. You just need vibrant obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Perhaps what are some of your most memorable or even favorite moments over the years where having a vibrant obedience has been such a gift and and you really treasure the moments that uh, perhaps you chose what was not easier, but what was obedient? You know, um, there's a couple of different things I can talk about. Um, first goes back to Ethiopia. Um, I, you know, I didn't have this grand scheme of, or not scheme, scheme's the wrong word, strategy, a methodology of doing ministry. I just came as a teacher to do a teaching job. And then God kind of, it, but, but I had this stirring in my heart for something more. And so began to pray. And I think prayer is always the most important part. I think, you know, that that need, that desperate need for God to reveal to us what to do um, is so important. And so just that prayer time that then developed into meeting these these Ethiopian believers who are doing street ministry. And um, then that developed into one day, um, my Ethiopian brother, he said to me, uh, there's an area of the city that I think we need to go and pray through. And it's called Kore. And Kore was between the city dump and the leprosy hospital, very marginalized, very slummy. And so I remember walking through that that area of the city and just, it was so disgusting. I mean, you're walking through gunk and there's so many beggars and the the poverty level is just so high. And being a white person, like everybody just comes and just begs from you. And you just feel like you can't walk. The oppression and the needs are so great. And um, we, so we walked through this whole area, we prayed over it and I came home and I remember thinking, well, that was a, that was an experience. Okay, God, thank you for letting me pray over that area, but I don't think I could go back. Um, And the Lord is really working on my heart and saying, Summer, I have loved the least of these, and you also need to love them, and um, you need to wow. go back. And so, so we went back and again prayed through. And this time, a woman named Salam, um, she came and she said, "Well, why are you guys here?" And we and she actually invited us into our little ha- house thing, and she invited us in and she said, "Well, why are you here?" And we said, "Well, we love Jesus and we want to show God's love to others and." we would love to share some Bible stories with, with people here. And she said, well, why don't you come and start sharing some Bible stories with the children of the neighborhood? And so we said, that would be great. So then on Saturdays, we began to go there and um, tell Bible stories every Saturday. And it was just such a simple thing. You know, uh, the children would gather in this little courtyard area. Um, and it was really sweet because, you know, when I first walked through, I remember they were pulling on my arms. like so. White people, we have hairy arms and Africans do not. And so they find that so fascinating. And so all these little kids like pulling the hairs of your arm as you're walking along <laughs> is really just annoying. So <laughs> endearing. <laughs> so endearing. And I just remember, oh, like, that first time I walked through, like it was so tough. But then like as we went back and forth, we'd like sing these songs with how, the word hallelujah. And so then when they see us, they'd start, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they'd like, like run and, and clap and, and they'd join us for this Bible story time. It was so simple. Like we didn't have any big things, you know, uh, just telling the stories of God's word to these children. But Salam was listening. And over the course of the year, Salam was asking us questions about these Bible stories. And pretty soon Salam said, 
you know, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we got the privilege of, of walking with her into that, that place of faith in, in surrendering of her life to Jesus. And then she said to us, you know, I've been listening to these stories of Jesus's healing and I believe that he can heal me. I've been barren for nine years. Would you pray that God would give me a baby? And I remember at that moment going, man, I've told all these stories. I know God is able, but is he going to? <laughs> you know, you just get all these fears like welling up in your little heart and you're like, oh, okay. And so uh, my friends and I, we prayed over Salam and in our faith, my faith was just this little tiny, tiny, tiny mustard seed. I will admit like it wasn't anything great, but God heard our prayers and God answered them. And a year later, Salam gave birth to a healthy baby girl. And oh this, my gosh. I know. She's so beautiful. Her name is Sarah. And, um, and Salam began like, and the neighboring women knew Salam. Like she, she had borne the shame of not, of being barren for nine years in this neighborhood and suddenly they're starting to come and ask her questions. And suddenly she's beginning to, to share the stories of Jesus with them. And then that kind of gathers into her home, a group of women who begin, we begin doing Bible studies with them. And then from that began a church and our Ethiopian uh, people that we were using for translation. I never did this in the local language. I never got that good at Amharic, uh, but we were using our Ethiopian brothers and sisters, and they began to like minister and disciple and, and do this thing. And so that's the point when we are just starting to see this church developing. That's the point where I left. Um, that was the end of my three year mark. But it was really exciting. I've kept in contact with uh, these believers there in Ethiopia. And that little church that started off so small, uh, it has now multiplied. And I think the count is like 47 different churches in various areas of Ethiopia that have like stemmed out, have multiplied out of this little one. Did I have a church planting strategy when I started? No. Did I know what I was doing when I started? No. Did I even understand what Bible storing was? Like, no. Like there's so many things that I didn't have a strategy. I just had Jesus and I just walked in a vibrant obedience to what he asked me to do. He asked me to go and love that community. And then he was the one that opened the door to Salam's house. And, you know, and we often in missions now, we talk about the person of peace. Well, how appropriate that her name is Salam, which means peace. But, you know, I had no idea of any of those strategies at that time. And yet God, and I just encourage you guys, when God does the work, it is incredible. And then when I was in Uganda, you know, the team that I came to join, uh, the wife was a veterinarian doctor and the husband was a theologian and uh, an expert Bible storyer. And so I had come to kind of really learn from them and to, to work under their expertise. And like I said earlier, uh, shortly after I arrived, they, they both left. And that left me in a really devastating position as I had no idea what to do now, like no idea. But I will say like, God is so gracious. He takes us where we're at and then he gently leads us forward. Like, so those three years in Ethiopia, they formed my faith. I saw how obedience, I, I, I saw how great God was 
which built my faith, which enabled me to obey, which then developed more of faith, which then created greater knowledge of God's faithfulness. And that creates a new trust, which means allows me to obey more. And so those three years of being in Ethiopia set the tone for when I was in Uganda. If I had just started off in Uganda, I think I would have come home, to be perfectly honest. Like it was too hard. But, um, but because I knew God's faithfulness, I was able to re- remain. And so when everything fell apart, I was like, okay, God, it's back to you. And just that time of prayer again, saying, God, I don't know how to do this. And I mentioned the chickens uh, that we had to watch, you know, sleep in the chicken house uh, when they were babies. Well, they eventually grew up and we gave them out to different women of the community. And one woman was named Toto Joyce. And so we would go once a week out to her village and count the chicken eggs and um, and encourage her in her care of these chickens, which I didn't actually know that much about. I had a book and I was like reading it and kind of trying to figure it out because I'm not a veterinarian. Um, but aside from that, like, you know, it's just so going out there. And she was the first person to invite us into her hut. And I remember we went into her hut and she didn't know what to do with these foreigners. Um, she'd probably never have a foreigner in her hut before. And I didn't know what to do in her hut. I had never been a foreigner in a hut before. So um, we just kind of looked at each other <laughs> and it was really dark. <laughs> so then she left and I sat in that hut for like an hour in the darkness. And then I was like, well, maybe I should leave. I don't know. <laughs> so then I left. <laughs> and then the next week I came back and I sat in her hut for another hour in the darkness. And then I left and like, eventually I, I said to our translator, I said, this is really awkward. I don't want to sit in this dark hut again. <laughs> I love that she has like this, this ministry, like, but maybe you can ask her if I can tell her a story, you know? And so she, they asked her, she's like, oh yes, that would be good. So then it was just her and our translator and, and uh, myself and Melissa, and we just began to tell these Bible stories with her. And for like a year, we would do this, you know, just really simply going and telling these Bible stories. And Toto Joyce, after a while, she said, you know, Summer, these stories are really good. And I believe them to be true. And I want to be a follower of Jesus. It's like, oh, wonderful. So we prayed with her. And then she says, and I think that these stories shouldn't just be for us. I think you need to start telling them to everybody else too. And so I was like, Yes, that's what we've been praying for. Like, that's what we want, but we didn't know how to do that, you know? And so uh, so the next week when we went there, she had gathered about 100 people and she had them under the community tree. Um, and so we began to tell these Bible stories to this whole village. Um, and I will say that not everybody listened and not everybody stayed and not everybody appreciated it. But out of that 100 there became a core of probably about 14 people who um, who really heard the word of God, who received it, who became believers in Jesus Christ, and um, and also like began doing some literacy stuff with Toto Joyce because the Bible had been written in Ngakarmajang, but because of illiteracy rates, uh, it's inaccessible to the people. And so orality and Bible storing was our method of of sharing these words with them giving them access to God's word. Um, but then also then realizing that long-term they need access to the complete word of God. And so, so began to train up her and another person in that village for literacy in Karajang. And, um, 
And now Toto Joyce is a church leader there, and they are continuing to meet uh, faithfully and to share, to speak the word of God to one another and to pray to Jesus themselves. Summer, I love this. I mean, I I could listen to these stories all day, but I, I mean, this, this theme of talk about God's glory being made Mm -hmm. known among these peoples who may have never known or seen the Mm -hmm. glory of God. So I'm just thankful for you. I'm so thankful for Mm. your work, for your time, for your passion, and especially for your obedience. Um, As a result of your radical obedience, God has been made known to these precious people um, throughout Africa. And Mm -hmm. now um, give us a quick little bit about where are you headed? Can I tell one story before I do that? Oh, sure. (laughs) You had mentioned the glory of God. And there's this one moment, so sweet. I just want to say. So... This one time, so like we prayed over all these different villages saying, God, where you want us to go? So we went to Toto Joyce's village, but we were praying for others as well. And God brought us to this village called Napongai. And um, and so we began to Bible story in that village too uh, on a weekly basis. And one week we were going to go to this this village and uh, and it was beginning to rain as we were starting to go. And we looked at each other and we said, uh, you know, the rain is coming. Is it really worth going? Because of course we just sit under a tree in, on the ground. So it's not like there's a building or something to shelter away from the wind, the rain. And so we all prayed, and this is my team. Now Melissa had gone and God had brought another couple, a married couple um, to join me there. And we also had some Ugandans that we were working with. And so we prayed together and we felt like God saying, yes, you need to go. But usually we'd ride our bicycles out to the village. And so this time, because it was raining, we said, okay, let's take the truck. So pile into the truck. I start driving along and the rain gets harder and harder. And I think this is really ridiculous to go forward because um, because the rain is just getting harder. No one's going to be out there to listen to a Bible story right now. So we stop the truck, we pray again, and we all felt like, yes, we need to keep going forward. Now, to get to this village, you have to go through like two rivers that don't have bridges you just drive through them and so i'm thinking like the rain is now really hard and the river starting to rise i'm thinking do we even like this isn't is this wise to go forward and so we're driving through you know we go past these two rivers like and the mud is getting thicker and thicker and thicker and it is pouring down rain now i can't even see the front of my truck anymore i'm like okay I stopped the vehicle. I said, guys, I don't feel comfortable driving any further because the roads are really rough. Like they were just a trail basically. And I was like, I don't want to get stuck out here in the middle and having to dig ourselves out. So I, I don't feel comfortable. Do we keep going forward or not? And so we all stopped and prayed and we all felt like, yes, we need to start, keep going forward. So I parked the truck kind of on a high place with some rocks and we all got out and we start walking. And let me tell you, like, it's pouring down rain. So that like that plastered hair just plastered upon your face and like you're wearing a skirt and it's like plastered to your legs and the mud is like up to your ankle, like up to your shins, you know, it's just so thick and you're losing your shoes in the mud because it's like, you know, as you're walking <laughs> along, it's like a mile of this walking in this rain. I'm thinking this is the most stupid thing. Like, there's no way that there will be even a single person that wants to listen to the Bible story. Like, <laughs> and even if we go into somebody's hut, we will just sit there and shiver because we're all wet. Like there's no purpose in this, but it just kind of that feeling like you need to keep going forward. And so one painful step after another, and we come up to the village of Napongai 
And Emily, I'm not lying. Like we walk from this rain, this, this incredible rainstorm. And it's like, there's this wall and all around the village that we're going to, there's this swath of sunlight that's just covering that village. So we walk from this rain into the sunlight and we walk and like the ground is pretty dry there. And we walk up and there's 30 people waiting under that tree for us to tell the Bible story. And I, that day I was telling the story and it was Isaiah chapter six, you know, and it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And I remember telling that Bible story and looking around 360 degrees all the way around this village, there's rain, but we are standing in the sunlight and we are proclaiming the glory of God. And I just remember like just standing in awe of God that day and um, standing in awe that in that place, there is now a church of faithful followers of Jesus Christ there. And, and I remember like that journey, that, that mile long journey in the rain, feeling so stupid, so ridiculous. So like, what is the purpose of going? And realizing that God is always worthy of obedience when it doesn't make any sense to us. God wants to reveal his glory, but it takes us listening to him and stepping out in obedience and and trudging through the unknowns and the tough circumstances and the, the things that don't make any sense to us to see where God is already working and preparing and has the blessing waiting if we if we would would just obey him, would we would just walk out in faith. Yeah. And yeah. um so it's just really incredible. And oh, um yeah. Yeah. And I remember like I talked about this story at the beginning where the you know the enemies come against me. I remember being afraid of Karamoja when I first arrived, like truly afraid. But seven years after being there, um, God said to me um, that my season was finished um, in that land. And it was interesting, like we had worked so hard and had seen so little fruit for, for several years. And then like the last couple of years had been so fruitful. We were just getting to those points of seeing these churches kind of rise up and seeing people come to follow Jesus. And feeling that excitement in the Lord, just saying, no, your season is finished here. And uh, he took me to Ecclesiastes chapter three to show that there's a season for everything. And there's a, you know, I have one piece of this big story that he's writing. And so in my faithful obedience, in that part of the story, God's going to use that for his glory. But I'm not the complete story. I'm not the one who gets to see it completed. It's God who begins a good work and it's God who will finish it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, um, so, so I think it actually took just as much faith to leave Karamoja as it did to go to Karamoja. Because what happens is when you are so invested, when you've loved so deeply, when you have stood during times of trials and suffering, and you have entered into 
the hearts of other people, when you have fought for friendships in a land that's hostile, like you, you start to love very deeply and you start to hold on to that, you know, learning language is not easy. Like you hold on to that identity that starts to be formed there. But God says, this is my story, my people, my work. And you get the privilege of being part of that, but it's not the totality of that. And so um, I had to release that back to God. I had to stand on his promises again, that it is his church and that he will sustain them, that he will keep them, that he will build them, that he will multiply them. And it's, it's up to him. It's not me. And so uh, we were able to leave in a very good way. We had trained up Bible storyers. We had um, poured into them, but it was their turn to go forward with it. And so um, we had this big celebration at our at the end of our time there. We had about 500 people gathering. Remember this one moment where we had, we were jump, like they when they praise God, when they're dancing, they jump really high, like really, really high in one place. It's amazing. And so here we are, we're jumping and we're praising God and we're yay, like, it's just this joyous, like praising of God. And I look over and this man who had been my enemy, like at the beginning where I was really afraid of him. Uh, here he is jumping as my brother in Christ and as my neighbor and friend. And that joy of being able to see that what God had promised did come to pass. And all of the heartache and all the trials that came along with that were worth worth it because God is worthy. Um, and he will be continue to sustain that. So that's where I came home from Uganda. And I came home and I felt pretty exhausted. And it was amazing seven years. God did a lot of things, but it was also very um, taxing. It was very hard. Um, there's oh, a lot. Yeah. I could tell you all the hard things too, but we don't have time. But um, but came back and felt like, okay, Lord, I've I've done it. <laughs> now is the time for me to settle in America. Like, can I have some? some cushiness a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to hear these stories because they, I think they give us such a sweet picture of, gosh, seeing the story unfold, seeing Uh how God brought you in and then took you out. And I think, I love that you said it takes just as much faith to go as it does to leave. And so Uh I think Summer, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us because this, yeah, this is just a very special insight, I think, for all of us to see um, what God has done and what God might do um, through our lives as well. Um, can you share with us real quick where you plan to go next? Yeah, so that was um, where I was going to. So God, like, after I realized, okay, once I came back to America, sorry, once I came back to America, I was like, okay, Lord, I just kind of want to settle here in America for a while. And God took me to Isaiah chapter 12, and he's like, no, with joy you will draw water from the wells of my salvation. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his name among the nations. And God just really like pushed that out. Like, okay, Summer, it's not for you just to be comfortable here. You've got to go amongst the nations. And so began to pray about that and um, heard about this little tiny country that I had never heard about before and began to pray. And every time I prayed, I just kind of thought about this country. and. Um, and so did some digging, realized that Pioneers doesn't actually have any workers there right now. And there's several unengaged minority people groups that live in the mountains there. And so it kind of felt like I started knocking on that door saying, is this where God would want me to go? Um, and so I went 
for a month last year to explore the nation, I didn't know a single person that I was in the country. I didn't have a real plan as to what I was going to do. I just felt like God saying, go and like that Luke 11 principle of like, go and see where your my peace remains. And if my peace remains here, stay in that place. If it doesn't like wipe the dust off your feet and move forward. And so I was like, okay, God, I'm going to go and you're going to have to just show me where your peace remains. And so it was amazing, Emily, like God's hand was all over that trip. He just opened up amazing doors, connections. He got me out to places. He provided for me, like just all these things that I could not deny God's hand in. And uh, that just left me amazed. And I thought, okay, Lord, you must be at work here. But I will also say in that same sentence that as as, as powerful and as, as great as God's hand in in everything was, there was also this huge emotional grief um, because it was so different. Like, there was, again, nothing the same. All that I have done in Uganda did not apply into this place. And again, a different religious block, a different cultural understanding, like everything night and day different and just feeling like, God, I'm just too tired. Like it's a whole, not, not just one language, but two languages I'd have to learn, like all the layers of that. And so I wrestled with it for a few months and finally just have come to place of surrender and saying, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of being known among these minority people groups that currently do not know you, that do not have access to you. And you're worthy of me being, you know, going to a place that seems utterly ridiculous. You're worthy of of going into this place that I don't know anybody in and that you will uh, provide new places. new people, new, all, he, he doesn't run short. He's new every day. Like with joy, you will draw with waters from the wells of your salvation. It doesn't run dry. And so I can step out in faith into this new context, which feels utterly overwhelming and difficult because I have tasted of the living water of Jesus Christ and seen that he can quench every need and every thirst. And because I can recognize that he is faithful and true and that he is worthy of going out. And so this is another step of obedience. I had hoped to already be there by now, but because of COVID and stuff um, have been delayed. But I'm grateful for that delay because, again, God knows what we need. And I needed a little bit of sabbatical before going out again. And so this has been that for me. And I'm really grateful for that. Like, again, like what I said at the beginning, like, this relationship with God. He loves us. He he's with us and he cares about us. So he asks really hard things from us. He asks us to die to ourselves, to give up everything for him. But he graciously holds us in that process and he knew that I needed rest and he has given it to me. I'm and so will, glad. Yeah, you yeah, just I'm glad it. that you've been able to just yeah, spend time here in the states mm-hmm. and prepare to go to be sent back out really well. And so mm-hmm. uh yeah, wow, I feel like these could I mean, your stories could easily be put into some kind of memoir of like summer <laughs> yeah, on the field and yeah. and I can't wait to hear about when you are able to be sent out again, what God will do and yeah. and uh, the life and the stories that he will bring. So, yeah, again, I hope that this podcast even serves 
as even a stone of remembrance that you can yes. check back in and re-listen to this episode. And our guests can too of, gosh, I, you know, <laughs> I want to hear some stories about God's goodness and we can come back to this episode. And so thank you again so much. Mm-hmm. And we want to bless you and, and be excited for you as you go back out again. Thanks for making time for our discussion today. If you've got questions or feedback, send us a DM on our Instagram at Relentless Pursuit Podcast or contact us through our website at RelentlessPursuitPodcast.org. You are not alone in the relentless pursuit of God's glory. We are here with you and are passionate about helping you take your next step.